This week's scheduling differences mean that I'm doing a show on my own. It's a solo show, a David Cohen story. TechFan346. Greetings Tech Fan listeners, it's your host David Cohen here. As I said in the intro, recording on my own this week. Um, I don't, don't know quite why the scheduling went so bad, badly wrong this week. Um, I mentioned to Tim after we finished recording last week that this week was my birthday on the Friday and I wouldn't be able to record then because um, I was planning to take the day off and spend some time with my wife and family. So... Um, Funnily enough, despite the fact it was my birthday and you think I'll be able to do things I want to do, um, I wasn't able to record that day. <laughs> Go figure. So um, Tim, unfortunately, wasn't able to record on Sunday, which is our normal alternate day. And I did try and hook up with um, Owen Rubin, uh, a regular co-contributor to our show. Uh, Owen's actually in Italy at the moment on vacation, so he's much closer to my own time zone than, than Tim is. He's only an hour away. Um, but obviously he's on vacation and so he only also had limited time and his scheduling and my scheduling just weren't going to work out either. So, um, I might very much appreciate the offer, Owen, if you're listening, I hope you are. Um, but I'm also kind of glad that I didn't spoil your vacation by, uh, by having, uh, you record with me for an hour or more because something tells me your wife might not have enjoyed that so much. So, hey ho, so it's just me. Um, so I will run through everything that we've got in our show notes from this week, which is uh, which are things that I put in there, actually. Um, but first thing I want to talk about some listener feedback we had from last week. Uh, Nathan Bargate uh, tweeted me to say, David, on show 345, you talked a little about your new rules and controls on Alexander's iPad. Could you elaborate on this process? Great work as always, chaps. Toodle pip. Thank you very much for the... Um, the support, Nathan, and the kind words. Um, yes, I can very much talk about it. Um, I did a little bit of research on this after receiving a, a somewhat fraught FaceTime from my wife one night saying, you know, Alexander's been on the iPad all day and he's not doing his schoolwork and every time I try and get it off him, I have to shout at him and argue with him and everything like that. So um, I decided that a technical technological solution was probably going to be in order just to avoid the arguments basically the you know anybody who's got teenage kids knows what it's like is you know all of a sudden it's like they become lawyers because they can argue till they're blue in the face um that uh, what you're suggesting they do is in fact wrong or uh, unfair or unjust or against their civil rights against the natural laws of the universe, you name it, they've got an argument for it. Um, and yeah, because I'm not at home very much at the moment, because I'm working away, my poor wife was having to deal with all of this. So I decided that um, if I impose something, that would give two things. First of all, it means the rules are clear and fair and can't be argued with because the rules have been set and the rules are the rules. Uh, and secondly, I would set them up, not my wife. So effectively, she could always uh, resort to, well, talk to your father. So <laughs> that's what I did. Um, but I, I do remember looking at this a few years ago and um, not really finding 
some great answers because what I wanted was something that would allow me to, the real thing I wanted was to be able to limit the amount of time that he can use the iPad every day. Um, and and I, didn't, I didn't really want to have to set a schedule for that um, because obviously sometimes, you know, kids' days vary. And uh, if I, I didn't want to say, well, okay, you can only use it between 5 and 7 p.m., for instance, because if he had then had something else on, then, then he would lose out. Um, and I don't want him to not have access to the device at all. I just want him to learn to ration his use of it. Um, so that was my principal thing, is to basically have something that... As he uses it during the day, it tops up how the amount he's using it, and after a preset amount of time has been set, then it stops working. Um, so that that was that was kind of my baseline requirement. When I started looking at these solutions, I found that there are now lots of other things you can do. Most of them will all of these things are effectively using the management stuff that Apple has built into iOS for enterprises. Um, there's quite a lot of policy controls that you can now impose on our iPad by sp installing a signed certificated um, management certificate. Uh, and that then allows a lot of the settings you can't directly control within the iPad to be redirected and, and managed because you, uh, you have a server that pushes things down the iPad, overrides the user settings. So it's kind of like the restrictions thing um, that the iPad already has on steroids. Yeah, because it's centrally managed. The idea is, is you can actually change it from the server and those changes will immediately get pushed down to the iPad. And so the parental control stuff I've ended up using is is very, very similar to that, but it's a cloud service and it's focused on on kids' activities. So the one, I, the one I'm using is something called a Custodio and that's spelt with a Q, so that's Q-U-S-T-O-D-I-O. And I looked at several of these and this one seemed, you know, it was, it was literally an evening's research so this one seemed to fit the bill um, and I'll talk about some of the pros and cons of it once I've uh, once I've described what it does um, so yeah you you sign up for the service there is a free tier which basically lets you manage one device then there's a paid tier which is pretty reasonable I think I'm paying some like 30 pounds a year uh, I managed to find a couple of discount codes online for it um, and that, that allows me to manage five devices, which is what kind of what I wanted. So that means I can wrap in his iPhone if I need to. Um, I can also manage my daughter's iPad, she's nine, um, as well at the same time. So we're not going to get any of the, well, <laughs> two things. First of all, the it's not fair, hers is different than mine argument. But secondly, yeah, you know, teenage kids are sneaky. If he figures out that hers is unrestricted and his isn't, then he'll start um, borrowing, air quotes, her iPad and doing the things he wants to do on that. I don't want him doing that either. So basically, I uh, wanted multi multi users so I could apply the same profiles to two iPads rather than one. And yeah, I thought thirty pounds a year for the ability to do that was was not unreasonable, really. Um, and yeah, I was trying to get out of a particular hole at the time, so I was prepared to throw some money at the problem. So what Q Studio does, uh, Custodio, Custodio, I think is how you meant to pronounce it. Um, is that it when you install it you install the app and then you log on to the app with your password and then it installs onto the device a certificate that basically points everything at its management cloud management solution and then you get um they have an app on your uh for your other ios devices 
uh, or you can go onto their website and actually see what your um, managed devices have been doing. Now it supports uh, Android as well, it, uh, as you might imagine, because Android is not as locked down as iOS, it does more stuff on Android than um, it does on iOS. Um, and, and most of these kind of time controls and things like that, I'm saying, really do come with a premium version. So you, you are looking at, at dropping some money if you want to use this. So it supports Android, iOS, obviously, because that's what I'm using it for. But it also supports um, Windows PCs, Macs, uh, and also uh, Amazon Kindle devices. That's the uh, Kindle Fire type things. So uh, obviously those are root Android devices effectively. So, um, But they've developed a custom version for uh, Amazon Kindles because they recognize that many kids receive those as, uh, as screen, user, screen usage things as well. So uh, yeah, what it what it lets me do basically when is when you install it, yeah, you you put the certificate on. It then configures all the network traffic to go up via a VPN to Custodio servers, which means that they can do all your web filtering for you, um, and uh, that's pretty good as well. It uh, if you you do do it with the phone, it will allow you to see um, who your child has been calling and texting. Uh, and you can also block certain contacts as well if you really want to get heavy-handed. Um, it allows, uh, it's particularly focused on, on monitoring what's happening on social networks. So you've got some awareness on that. It has uh, location tracking and panic alerts. So um, with this, your child can, uh, obviously they can be they can be tracked. Now that, that's something that's built into iOS anyway, but with this, the tracking can't be turned off if your child decides they want to go incognito. Um, but also there's a panic alert in there as well. So there is actually a, a button you can press in the app that actually will basically say, look, I'm in trouble. I need you to come get me, which is, is also quite nice as well. And then you can also actually control the apps that your child uses. You can actually lock apps out if you want to. Um, now, I found, uh, I've only been used it a couple of weeks, I found the app restriction stuff to be just okay. It doesn't support a lot of apps. Um, but the other thing as well is that you, you don't get an option to, to set what you want to do about an app until it till it's been run for a first time while the uh, while the child is, is actually enrolled in the system. I'd like to be able to proactively set up the stuff I don't want. Uh, the only other problem I've had with it, it the, the, the time stuff is fantastic. Yeah, I've been able to say that he can only use the iPad for an hour a day during the week. Uh, and um, that hour can be any time of the day, or I can actually restrict it. So he can't use it first thing in the morning, for instance. He can't use it late at night, because those are times I wouldn't want him to be doing it. Um, and uh, and yeah, it's great. It, it absolutely fits the bill. It does what we wanted to do. The uh, and I can I can I can loosen those restrictions at the weekend if I want to, um, so I can give him more time at the weekends. The only thing I would complain about really is that um, some of the things he's been trying to do, like for instance, he's really this Fortnite game I mentioned a couple of weeks ago. The problem with that is that there is that's one of these games that uh, effectively is gaming as a service. It needs to be online because you're playing on a server against a whole load of other people. Now there's something in the in the in the Custodio VPN that's blocking that. So he says the game doesn't work at the moment. Um, and I haven't found in the in the web in the web um, interface at the moment the level of granular control I might need to try and fix that. So I'm going to have to speak to Custodio support about that because you know I want to be able to allow that app 
I want to let him to get into game if I'm restricting his access to a device. I don't want him to to never do anything he, he likes on it. You know, I want him to be able to have some fun on it. I just want him to be able to limit the amount of time he spends doing that so it's uh, one hour a day and not eight. So that's that's really what it is. Uh, I'm sh- I, I can imagine some listeners are thinking this all sounds very, very harsh. Um, I'd just say that... You know, we Alexander is 15. Uh, he he has some medical problems. He also has some uh, developmental problems. He's he's very slightly on the autistic spectrum, so he has difficulty self-regulating. Um, and this is a critical time for him. He's going to be coming up to taking some pretty important school exams over the next year, and we want to make sure that he balances his time. And we don't want to have to fight with him about it. We want to help him to understand that actually, the sort of limits we can put on the device are reasonable really uh, I, I think during the school week when he's got uh, school work to be doing in the, of an afternoon or an evening that allowing him an hour of screen time a day is more than sufficient yeah um, and then at the weekend yeah I can let him have more but I, I also want to be able to restrict it so that I can say to him is your homework done have you done any revision for your exams at the moment before he uses the screen so um, yeah it's working out at the moment um, I'm, I'm going to have to see what I do about his, his iPhone <laughs> because effectively, as you might imagine, what he's done is he's gravitated towards his iPhone. Now, his iPhone, he doesn't normally have access to a lot of the time. We often uh, we often keep it away when he's not using it, um, but he's um, kind of been manipulating to try and get it more because he knows it's unrestricted uh, and he's terrified that I'm going to put the same restrictions on his iPhone that I have on his uh on his iPad. So what I, I really need to do is, is when I get a little bit more time is sit down with him and look at the apps that he wants to use and make sure they work under this environment. Um, and then talk to Custodio to get that, get them working if they're not working. So, um, um, that's, that's something I want to do, but overall I've been pretty pleased with it. And certainly my, my younger daughter has not complained. She's gone the same restrictions. Um, and it, and it, her iPad will turn itself off. Uh, and she she seems to be fine with that. You know, she mostly watches video on her iPad, and so she'll watch some video, and then it stops itself. When it the the way they they turn the iPad off is they basically they put it in lost mode when you're not when you're not allowed to use it. So um, obviously, a, a, an iOS device in lost mode will not do anything. So um, Custodio uses that as a as a shim to basically deny access to the device when it's not uh, when it's not required. So the server sends a signal down, puts in lost mode at the right times, and then unlocks it at other times. Uh, and then obviously the because everything's going through the VPN, the uh, Custodio server knows how long the kid is using the iPad, um, and so can keep a mon- monitor on whether that time is has been used during the, during the uh, used up during the day. Um, it's a pretty neat solution. I don't know if there are better ones out there. Uh, I don't know the ones of which are more granular. And certainly I would say um, anybody thinking about this is that these things typically are not as functional on iOS as they are on Android. Uh, on Android or the other platforms, you can get really, really kind of granular access if you so want. Um, so um, they're probably better for you if you have they have those sorts of things so that's what it is um yeah i would cautiously recommend it it's early days yet um i'm certainly happy to throw in 30 odd pounds a year to give it a try and um we've seen some success with it but you know listeners what do you think about um these sorts of tactics for managing your kids you know we've we've we're pretty we are pretty proactive about 
understanding what our kids are doing. We have some pretty clear boundaries. They know that they, for instance, they don't do social media on our, on their devices. Uh, and to be fair, neither of them are particularly interested in that at the moment. Alex likes to message his friends, but he does that on iMessage. Um, so, uh, you know, that boundary is there. And um, the kids know that we're not particularly big fans of unlimited YouTube watching. Alexandra in particular knows that because, um, you know, we've had instances where he's watching videos that he enjoys. And Charlotte, who much is much younger, is kind of looking over his shoulder. And then there's been some language problems and occasionally content problems as well because, you know, he, he doesn't he sometimes doesn't realize what might be involved in some of these videos. And sometimes, you know, some of these guys, they're doing a... a the content that's 90% of the time is perfectly innocent, but 10% of the time they just kind of cross the line and go into areas we don't want to want them to do, you know, and we're just trying to, we're just trying to make sure that, that, uh, our kids use the technology responsibly and they don't over obsess about it and they don't become uh, too fixated on it. And they're aware that there are other things in life apart from staring at screens, <laughs> And that's kind of ironic, I, saying that as somebody who stares at screen a lot. But I like to think that I'm capable of doing other things as well, and I want my kids to be able to do as well. But, um, yeah, if you think that perhaps this isn't a good solution, or perhaps there should be a different way of doing it, or you think there shouldn't be a technological solution, I'd be interested in listening to your feedback on that and uh, and discussing it on the show. So, by all means, get in touch and let me know what you think. Okay, moving on from that, our uh, next topic of conversation was an article that I saw um, early on this week on the BBC, and this is that the British pub chain Weatherspoon, which has uh, probably about 900 pubs across the UK, uh, really is is one of these very well-established chain brands. You go into Weatherspoon, you kind of know what you're going to get. Um, it's... Uh, a stereotypical, almost like a mock pub now, in that they all they all kind of are set up very similar. They're well known for, you know, discount beer, quite cheap food. Um, they do specialised different themed food nights every week. Um, very much the mass market end of 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 pubs, I would say. Um, they're not in the one of these places where you get a lot of craft beers or all the sort of things that perhaps um, overseas visitors might expect from a traditional English pub. You know, they're a big mass market chain. But uh, nevertheless, you know, they're in every single high street and, uh, and town in the country. Um, so they are quite a big bellwether of how that particular industry is running. Uh, and... Um, they decided this week to announce that they were withdrawing from all social media. So the um, CEO said that the, uh, sorry, the chairman, not the CEO, said that the um, they would be withdrawing from Twitter, Instagram and Facebook with a media effect. Uh, and their statement really said, in a world of social media, J.D. Weatherspoon has decided to close down all Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and other social media accounts for individual pubs and their head office. Rather than using social media, we will continue to release news stories and information about forthcoming events on our website and in our printed magazine. If you've been in active in contacting us through social media, please continue to feedback at your local pub or via customer services through our website. Thank you for being a loyal customer. We hope to see you in your pub soon. So, um, 
when he was interviewed about this, uh, the chairman said he'd always been sceptical against the conventional wisdom that, that these platforms were vital to a successful business. Um, and he also felt that his managers were being sidetracked from the real job of you know, serving real-life customers by attending to social media accounts. Um, he also said he consulted on that and he said 90% of his staff felt that social media was not helping the business. So I found um, I found this interesting because it does fly in the face of what has become this received wisdom that social media is vital to market a business. Uh, I wonder how important that is nowadays. Um, I, I wonder if it, if, if it really is as important as perhaps social media marketing people might lead us to believe. I, I've had this debate inside my, our own business where I've had our um, marketing manager express a wish that we um, all use our personal LinkedIn accounts to point to stuff from the business. <laughs> and I kind of said, well, it's kind of my personal account, really. And, um, you know, perhaps I want to do stuff on my LinkedIn account that, that I don't want to be directly related to the business, apart from people knowing that I work here. Um, most people I know who use LinkedIn use it to try and get another job rather than promote the job they're in. Um, and, and Twitter as well. I, I, I really have come to the conclusion that Twitter is not a great platform for interacting with, with uh, customers for a really, really large business. I, I've had some, I had some experiences with LastPass a few, uh, couple of weeks ago where um, they had announced at the last pass is, is a, a password manager. Um, it's quite a well-established one. It used to be independent, very, very good. Uh, about two years ago, it was acquired by another company and it's now not as good as it was, unfortunately. Um, but it's, you know, it's one of these things. I have all my system passwords in there. I'm kind of reluctant to move to a new platform. And it is cross-platform, which is important to me because I use Macs, PCs, iOS devices and all of all of that jazz. So um, there was a problem with LastPass where they appeared to have an outage. And this was after they had triumphantly announced on their Twitter page that they would have, um, they had a new kind of what's, uh, what's the status of service at LastPass page, like a blog page. And I went to that, having seen this on their on their Twitter timeline, um, and that said they were having no problems. I then went back to the Twitter timeline, and somebody had tweeted in there, "Oh yeah, we're getting reports of some problems." And then there was a whole load of "Why the hell aren't you updating your status page?" things, which they all, which they just completely ignored. And um, then eventually, after about two hours, something like that, they'd obviously repaired what was going wrong, and they announced on Twitter that the um, that the outage had been dealt with and things should be working again. Never updated the status, the web status page at all. But the problem is, is that um, people were able to contact them directly, or so you might think, on Twitter. And, and my, my feeling is when you contact somebody on Twitter, you kind of expect to get either a, an undirected mass reply to everybody or a, um, a personal reply. I mean, a lot of people use Twitter to try and interact and kind of cut around the, the regular customer service interaction they have with a particular company, perhaps to get you know better treatment because the regular channel isn't working for them. Um, in this case, that wasn't what was happening. It just basically was another outlet uh, and not a very good one at that, really. Um, and they had 
set up dedicated outlets that were clearly still being neglected at the expense of the social media. And the social media was was not really up to the job either. And Twitter's a lousy platform for talking about outages because it's uh, because it, it's so restricted in terms of what you can say. Uh, my web page is far far better in my opinion. Um, but you know that that frustration you get from tweeting directly to a company and not getting a response um, is really not great either. Uh, and so, you know, I do have to wonder about the value of this. I've certainly never seen the value of Instagram <laughs> for a for a business. I mean, you you can't do customer service on the, on Instagram. I guess you can. I guess you can promote things on Instagram by by putting pictures up of them. And I know a lot of people use Instagram to kind of um, influence by giving people stuff and expecting them to post about it to their Instagram timelines. Um, but it, it all feels very, very, I've talked about this before. To me, it all feels very, very false, very, very contrived. Also kind of a little bit of subterfuge because we, you don't know that the, you don't necessarily know that the stuff you're being given in somebody's Instagram feed is, is a reflection of their personal preferences or effectively an, an unsolicited ad. Um, so I, I just found it interesting that a, a big business would say, you know what, social media is doing nothing for us, and so we're going to drop all of it. Obviously, in light of the concerns that people have about Facebook nowadays, um, Twitter have had their problems as well. Um, I, I just found it interesting, and I wonder whether this would be the start of a trend, perhaps the beginning of the end of the obsession I think obsession is not too strong a word that many people have with social media. Uh, you know, it's social media I find is it because it it because it's so limited and it's so controlled or it can be so controlled. Uh, and yet at the same time, it presents this image of being, you know, a direct channel to the heart of a person. This is their, you know, this is what they really are. This is what they're really about. Um, and nowadays, it, for most people, it just isn't. And as well, it's the internet, and it's so easy to misconstrue things on the internet. It's so easy for any sort of electronic interaction, where you're not talking to somebody directly and having a conversation, to um, to to get you know to get the wrong end of the stick, and then get into an argument, and to get very positional and very um, you know kind of these these social media wars brew up. And I, I really don't find that very very constructive or helpful at all so i i found this interesting um i will keep an eye on this and see whether they backtrack on this and um and what what and what was funny was that um when um he was asked the, this chairman whether he thought this would start a business trend he said i hope not because Currently, we'll have a massive advantage because we're not wasting hours of our time supporting social media, and all our competitors are. So I hope that they all stick at it, which <laughs> I thought was mildly amusing. But there you go. Um, I'd be interested as well to see what uh, whether the rest of the industry follows with that, or any parts of uh, the industry follow. So we shall see on that one. So I'm uh, nearly half an hour in, so that's time to mention our... But our gratitude to our sponsor, uh, OWC Computing, MaxSales.com, you can find them at. And um, we very much appreciate their support. 
we could do this show without them because we have done this in the past but you know what having them on board makes it an awful lot easier for tim and i and so we really really appreciate and and i think they're a really good match of a sponsor for us because um you know they are they're in the tech industry and they kind of have an approach and values that that kind of jive very well with tim and mine so i already we we always like to mention a uh, product that they've got going on their website at the minute when we uh, when we do these sponsor reads so i took note this week that they have um we've talked many times before about the used macs they sell but you know they also have some used ipads and they have uh, something that stuck out to me here uh, apple ipad air 2 with retina 64 gigabytes and cellular wi-fi and atat unlocked cellular for in space gray and that's for 309 dollars now that's a deal because uh you'll get you'll get certified condition from um from owc when you buy them they make it very clear what condition these devices are in and uh, any flaws or anything you need to worry about they will let you know um, you can always call them up and check them, check them, and, and select a specific specific one, I guess, if you if you want to. They come with a 90-day warranty, uh, and uh, this is $309 for a 64-gig iPad Air 2. Now, compare that to the um, current brand-new 2018 iPad that was re- just released a few weeks ago. Um, you have broadly very broadly similar specs. I think the iPad Air to um is probably a little bit slower than that new one but not so much that you're going to notice it obviously it doesn't have the um pen support that the new one does that has but pretty much everything else is is the same it's still uh lightweight thin fast um and and in terms of specs for for less than the pro- the 319 dollars that you would pay for a new ipad you can get this air 2 with a 64 gig rather than 32 gig of memory uh and also the cellular which is 100 and 129 dollars 109 dollars more expensive if you want that on the on the new ipads so um yeah that's a pretty good deal uh, if i was in the market for a new ipad i'd be seriously tempted by that so go check them out <coughs> maxsales.com They've got loads and loads of stuff there, as as we've we said before. But if you're in the market for an iPad, probably worth um, worth having a word with them because you get that great OWC customer service. You know, you have a problem with them, they'll they'll stick by you on that. So, so I saw an article on Ars Technica the other day that caught my eye because it tallies with some experience I'm having here in Manchester. So the headline here was San Francisco to scooter startups: Your customers are terrible. So the gist of this story really is that um, San Francisco's city attorney has sent three cease and desist letters to three electric scooter venture-backed startups operating in the city by the bay. So the concept here is that these are dockless short-term rental scooters. So unlike uh, many municipal um, bike rental schemes that you have we have here in London, for instance, or in the um, in other countries in the uh, other cities in the US. Um, these don't use docks, so they are just left where the user wants to leave them. And then you use a smartphone app to pay to unlock and then rent the, the electric scooters. And uh, obviously they're managed by a company who are meant to collect these things up and keep them charged and manage them and fix them when they're braked. Um, 
they have been referred to by certain print organisations as Wheelmageddon um, because effectively what happens is that most people who rent them don't wear a helmet, don't um, use bike lanes, they ride them on the pavement and then what they do is they, when they're finished, when they get to their journey, they just kind of dump them wherever they want. So the uh, the text of the complaint from the city attorney, the two bird, spin and line bike, said that um, their scooters were a public nuisance and they must immediately cease unlawful conduct. Uh, as the uh, municipal transport agency informed you by letter, State and local will currently regulate operating motorised scooters such as yours in the public right away, yet my office continues to read numerous complaints from members of public and city officials, officials about the dangerous operation. We've compiled documented evidence that, that Bird and its customers are ignoring the requirements set forth in the letter. For instance, customers driving the scooters on the sidewalk, imperiling pedestrians and themselves. Customers are leaving scooters in the public right-of-way, creating falling hazards and impeding the safe use of sidewalks, access ramps and other facilities. Bird is not quickly relocating scooters that customers have left, creating these hazards, and customers are riding the scooters without helmets, putting themselves at risk. So, the reason I, I talk about this is that we have a dockless bicycle scheme here in Manchester that started going, well, it must have been about 18 months ago, I guess now. Uh, and this is from a Chinese company who suddenly... Uh, without much announcement to be honest suddenly swooped and all of a sudden there were these uh, orange plastic bicycles all over the place uh, and it's the same sort of thing you know you use a smartphone app to uh, effectively unlock the electronic lock on the bike uh, and then you pay to rent it uh, I think you pay maybe and the Manchester one actually might be free I'm not really sure but uh, I suppose for the point of this argument it's not really important uh, but you um you unlock the bike, you ride the bike, you then park the bike up when you get to where you're going. Now the problem is, again, this is a dockless scheme. These bikes end up everywhere. Um, it, it, it's kind of a, it's it's a Manchester thing anyway that kids on bikes just, you know, they kind of, when they get to where they're going, if it be somebody's house or a store they want to go into, is they just kind of dump the bike sideways on the, on the sidewalk um, right in front of the door of where they're going into, which really isn't very good either and i have to say unfortunately many of these um bikes just get left lying around kind of in the way when people are finished with them there, there were quite a few this is manchester so there were quite a few funny instances when it when they first launched i i remember it, it became clear very quickly that certainly in the um how, how can i put this less affluent parts of the cities of manchester and salford where where i live um people had quickly discovered how to permanently disable the locks on the bikes so effectively they had them a new bike for free and um, there were some instances of people kind of parking up these bikes outside their house and then putting an extra lock on so they always had access to a personal bike um, which was obviously wasn't good either um, that most of that seems to have tailed off, but but the fact that the things just end up being left lying around everywhere, uh, often in somewhat inconvenient places, is definitely true, uh, and definitely echoes what um, people are talking about here with these San Francisco electric scooters. I I suppose, it, in some respects, it goes back to what I was saying before about social media. I I think the nature of the 
electronic access to these things in um it can impose kind of a particularly as with with limited sign up um limited responsibility um often you know you can't i think you kind of get that internet effect which is okay well i can do i, I can behave slightly um less properly than i than I might do with my own property just because you know it's all cool it's all on an app man uh and you know i can i can be thoughtless to my fellow man and everything because you know the whole transaction kind of makes you feel disconnected and perhaps insulated from any comeback because it's all via an app it's all uh, online it's all kind of relaxed and 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 not too regulated and and all of that sort of thing and, and i think personally that that can lead to these sort of uh, irresponsible behaviors um yeah and also as well i guess the convenience of having access to a scooter or a bike um funnily enough actually well now i think on it i very rarely see people that with, on the bikes in manchester wearing helmets which isn't a legal requirement but it's generally accepted by a lot of people to be um you know good practice i know i know there's some debate about the safety of bicycle helmets and whether they are actually useful or not but certainly um I don't see a lot of people wearing helmets, whatever the, the pros and cons of that are. And also, as well, I see a lot of these bikes being ridden, ridden on the sidewalk, on the pavement, rather than on the road, which is where bikes are meant to be ridden. Um, because of, of, you know, a bike hitting a pedestrian, that can really hurt somebody. Really, really hurt somebody. So, um, bikes are not well suited to being ridden, in certainly in urban areas, on the, on the sidewalk or the pavement. Uh, and scooters as well. But it, I guess... That transactional nature of, oh, I, I just feel like getting on the scooter, getting on the bike. Um, I'm just going to pull out my phone and click a button and do it. It doesn't really dispose you to thinking, hmm, I, I need to make sure I have the right um, protective equipment before I get on the scooter or the bike. And I need to make sure that I've planned my route on the basis of where the cycle lanes are and, and how I know how to get there via the road. Uh, rather than thinking, oh, well, I'm just going to go as the crow flies directly across the sidewalk and, um, you know, be tampered with it. So, uh, yeah, I, I again, I don't want to sound like a uh, uh, too much of a curmudgeon about this, but unfortunately, the problem is, is that pedestrians are people too they've got the same rights as anybody else and it's not really on that they have to pick their way through all sorts of obstacles that aren't meant to be there um, i don't know what the licensing arrangements for um these electric scooters in san francisco are but it sounds like if there isn't any licensing at the moment that it's coming um and uh you know they are uh, perhaps their kind of casual approach to uh, safety of anybody who's not using their and i'm putting air quotes up here platform i hate it when companies go on about their platform especially when their platform is not really a platform <laughs> yeah when they say platform and they mean our server yeah it's not a platform it's terrible terrible marketing speak that um but yeah, it sounds like regulation's coming uh, as a result. Because uh, let's face it, you're not going to be able to convince your users to suddenly start behaving, are you? They have no lever to be able to do that. They've got no way of accessing their customers and saying, "Please, you make sh make sure that you comply with these laws uh, and you don't and you park the things up responsibly, because otherwise you're going to put us out of business." Yeah, I, I <laughs> find it interesting that one of 
the responses to this article from one of these companies was that um, they said they were going to start a pilot program where you would have to take a photo whenever you park your scooter at the end of your ride. This will help Bird take action to ensure frequent violators of our parking rules are suspended or deactivated. Yes, because it's completely impossible that somebody who was suspended would just sign up with a new account. Uh, you know, that is very much... Uh, lip service to the problem I can't help feeling so yeah there you go um, all of these things are, are, are great in principle but you know there's a reason why a lot of transport is regulated that's because unregulated transport people are often very thoughtless I guess so um, there you have it now I'm not going to do wiki trolling this week because frankly that that idea is not quite as good, I don't think, when somebody does it solo. I think it's the fact of uh, Tim or I, I coming across a topic which one or the other of us doesn't know too much about and kind of exploring it together and, and commenting on it is makes makes that segment a little bit more interesting than if I was to just effectively read out a Wikipedia page. So I'm not going to do that. What I am going to do is something I like to do when I do these solo shows, which is to discuss a new bit of technology I've been playing around with recently and uh, what my impressions of it are. So regular listeners to the show will know that I am a big fan of Chromebooks. I have used the Google Pixel Chromebooks. In fact, I bought a new one um, God, it was about eight, nine months ago when I was in Las Vegas. I picked one up while I was there. Um, it was the old Google Chromebook. It wasn't the, the more recent model. Uh, but I really like them. I think they're really capable machines. And I think the whole Google Chromebook concept is, while it's limited, it's also quite interesting uh, in the fact that you, you're really capitalizing on the cloud and, and the web, and the web accessing the cloud to, to, to give you a, a lightweight computer. Now, I've got to be honest. I bought the uh, a very high-end Google Chromebook, the Pixel, Google Pixel. Yeah, the new one now is called Pixelbook, so the old one was just called the Pixel. Uh, the Google Chromebook Pixel, which was effectively it was an i5 Retina-class computer and originally cost over $1,000 when they were new. Uh, I never would have paid that for a machine like that because it was a fantastic machine but frankly a thousand dollars for a Chromebook to me is just barking mad because of those limitations I just mentioned to me the Chromebooks have always been more interesting as low-end devices but the problem with low-end devices is that they are <laughs> intrinsically low-end they're built down to a price um, and while early on in the Chromebook days there were some quite interesting models that had compromises I thought in the right areas the recent ones have universally in my opinion been terrible plastic construction um, lousy keyboards uh, the really really thing that kind of kills it is low amounts of memory of Chrome Chrome OS needs about four gig of RAM to work properly a lot of the entry-level machines only have two gig and also pretty lousy EMMC storage uh, of not very much size 16 gigabytes something like that as well emmc is terrible uh, because it, it purports to be like an ssd but it it isn't because it's really really slow so um uh, but the worst thing about these entry-level chromebooks is terrible terrible screens dull grainy low resolution um hard to read lacking in contrast and brightness and everything like that and 
the screen is what you look at all the time on a computer. It's, it's really, really important. To me, in my mind, it's a bit of a travesty to cut costs on uh, on a... Um, on, on a machine with with the screen you know it, it really is an area where you shouldn't be cutting costs in my view you should cut costs elsewhere if you have to so um i've been quite unimpressed uh and i think the market's been quite impressed too because there's been a rise of these mid-size mid-priced chromebooks kind of like the four five hundred dollar mark um which to me is is really pushing at the upper end of of cost versus concept in the Chromebook space. But there has been some value added recently because um, Google have bought Android apps for these Chromebooks. Uh, initially, not terribly successfully, but it's starting to get a bit more stable now um, and a bit more usable. They've still got some way to go, but I think I, I was thinking to myself, well, maybe one day I could talk myself into getting a, a you know, a $500 mid-size, mid-range Chromebook that runs Android apps uh, and perhaps, you know, move away from the from the pixel the problem i have with the with the pixel is that um it's five years old now and uh pretty shortly google are going to stop issuing um updates for it which is fine it's not it's not going to stop working but it just means that over time it will become more and more harder to use and and who, who really wants to be doing that so um a machine i'd always been interested in was the samsung chromebook plus they have the Chromebook Plus and the Chromebook Pro. Um, these were, in, were introduced at CES, not just this year gone, but the year before. Uh, and they look very, very interesting to me. They are very thin, very light. They're two in one, so they kind of have the folding design. So you can fold the screen right back in as a tablet, or you can use it as a laptop, as a full keyboard on it. Um, all metal construction, most importantly, kind of a retina-style screen, very high resolution, very good looking, um, touch enabled as well, and being Samsung, it supports their S Pen technology, so you have a stylus built in as well. So I'd always been interested in seeing these machines. Unfortunately, Samsung don't sell any laptops in the European Union anymore. They withdrew from that market. Um, so a few months ago, I was uh, browsing around on eBay, and I came across one of these, um, and I bid on it, and I didn't win. <laughs> well, great story, dude, I can hear you all saying. But it kind of piqued my interest that, that maybe I should look into getting one of these machines. You know, I really was, I like to acquire laptops, that's what I do. Um, and so I started looking around, and I pushed the button on one from the U US eBay site. It was a used one, but it wasn't in too bad condition. But most importantly, um, it used the eBay Global Shipping Program, which is uh, something they operate now to allow you to buy from eBay US in particular. Uh, and what it means is that the seller effectively sends the device to eBay, pays the shipping fee, and then a fee on top, or, you, or the buyer pays the shipping fee. And then eBay packages it up and deals with all the customs and import duties. So you get a fixed price for shipping, including all of that. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Uh, and so I did this because with the price of the used laptop and the global shipping, it was still far less than what the machine would cost if it was available here. Uh, and of course, it wasn't available here because you can't buy it. So it was a pretty reasonable deal. Uh, I certainly paid a lot less for it. I paid for my, my Google um, Chrome Chromebook Pixel. And I really, really like it. It's really, really good. It has a 12 and a half inch um, square three three by two panel, 
it's very very high quality it's pretty much retina quality i think actually uh, as i say the machine is very thin and light it's kind of very apple-esque in terms of how it's put together really kind of sturdy um, I've not really had any negative thoughts about it at all. I mean, Chrome OS is great. Um, it's th th This is the Plus model, so it has an ARM processor in it rather than an Intel. But you know what? It runs fine, and more importantly, it runs Android apps fine because they're all compiled for and ARM anyway. Um, so I've had... Uh, this is the first Chromebook I've ever had that has Android support on it because the older ones don't. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's pretty good. It's, it actually does make it... A fair bit more usable than regular Chromebook. I can put um, Office apps on there. I've got Word, Excel, and PowerPoint, which are the equivalent of the ones you get on the iPad. Um, but obviously, I'm using this now on a machine that has uh, a full keyboard uh, and a three by two screen. So that's kind of nice. Um, and the files, because it's Android and Chrome OS, the file support is much less fiddly than it is with uh, an iPad. So it's it's a pretty nice portable machine. Battery life is about eight to ten hours, um, so I can use it traveling down to London and watch movies on it. And then, um, you know, I don't tend to use it for work, but I can leave it in the hotel room. And then it's it's a nice portable machine to use for doing a bit of web browsing and and other bits and pieces of work in the evening. So um, yeah, they're they're really quite good. Um, I do think it's a shame that Apple, that Samsung doesn't sell them in the UK, in the EU, to be honest. Uh, I understand they got burnt and didn't really feel like they were making much money over here with their laptops, but this is a really good laptop, uh, and I think it will probably get some market traction here. But um, they are not doing that, so there you go. So yeah, uh, anyone else have one of those? Anybody have any thoughts or experiences about Chromebook or Android on Chromebook or anything like that? It's an interesting platform, not just because of what Google are trying to do with it, but because they are developing it. And, you know, being Google, you never know which way it's going to go. <laughs> you know, it, it it could die in a vine or it could turn up, it turn into the next big thing. You know, they are plugging away at it while also doing other things as well. So I, I find it quite an interesting platform, but it is amazing how much you can do on the web now uh, and um, how usable a computer that basically is just, you know, a web browser on steroids is in terms of mo your, your kind of day to day life. Um, and then the fact that you can put mobile apps on there as well, so you kind of get a bit of extra computing power away from the web is, uh, is an interesting concept. Um, yeah, pretty good. As, as I say, it's a nice machine. And um, I'd, I'd certainly, if, if anybody was looking for a Chromebook today, I would sort of say to them, if you've got the money, push that. And apparently on, in the US, these things are, are available on Reverb for, for very little money. Mine one wasn't professionally refurbished it was just a used one but uh, apparently they show up and refurb all the time for 300 350 dollars which is not a lot of money for a computer that capable um and yeah i would i would definitely anybody who thinks it might fit with their needs i would recommend it so there you have it um the samsung chromebook plus okay so i think i've probably talked enough for one week we're nearly at an hour so I'm going to wind it up there and um, hopefully next week Tim and I will be back on the air together. I know that I do have um, some travel to do on Friday, so I'll have to liaise with him this week and see what we can sort out. But hopefully it will be the 
dynamic duo back together uh, and I did say to Owen as well when I was uh, trying to meet up with him over the last few days that we must have him on the show again soon so hopefully he'll be joining us at some point too maybe when he's back from Italy so thanks very much for your uh, patience and listening to me and uh, I shall look forward to speaking to you next week take care